All right, well, good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to Redeemer. As Tyler said, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad you decided to join us um, this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Um, as you can tell, as we just read um, the text, we are still in the Gospel of Luke. We've been going through that uh, for a while now, um, but I think it's been really, really good and encouraging. And so today we are in Luke 18, um, looking at um, a couple of parables. And as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, we've encountered a lot of parables. Um, just uh, to give you a definition of parables, a short metaphorical story Jesus told to teach ultimately deeper truths. And if you're anything like me, um, parables can be perplexing, even confusing, and sometimes even ones that I've read many, many times. I read it once again, and I'm like, I forgot everything that I learned before about this parable. But I think that it can be helpful to remember that even the disciples who were physically, literally with Jesus when he was on the earth, they're consistently confused by his teaching. They ask him why he teaches in parables. They ask, what does this parable, this teaching mean? Uh, for example, we talked about it earlier in Luke, in the parable of the sower. It's a parable ultimately about parables. The disciples ask Jesus what he means by these things. And Jesus says, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all of the other parables? So if the parables of Jesus are confusing or perplexing to you like they can be for me, know that you are not alone. Um, of course, through the prayer, through the insight of the Holy Spirit, through discussion, all sorts of things, we can understand Jesus' parables, even the most perplexing and confusing ones. But today is a little bit different. We're looking at two parables, but it's different because we are given these two parables of Jesus where Luke, he tells us exactly what the point of the parable is before Jesus even tells the story. And so the theme that ties both of these parables together is prayer. Now, for me, personally, prayer is kind of interesting because it seems like something that consistently unites us, unites Christians all around the world. And so in the global church, there are thousands of different denominations. There's lots of disagreement on doctrine and theology and all sorts of stuff. But thing, something that unites us all, I think, is prayer. And I think it unites us in that, one, we all know that prayer is important. It's a good thing. But two, we all feel like we don't really have a very good prayer life or, or that our prayer life could improve in some way. Thus, we ultimately need Jesus to help us with prayer. And so the disciples, they also felt that they needed Jesus's instruction on prayer. That's why they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And his response to them gives us the Lord's prayer in Luke 11. But today, I want us all to consider a question that's kind of similar to the one that the disciples asked of Jesus when they said, teach us how to pray. I want us to ask ourselves the question, how do you pray? Or how do I pray? And so by this question, I don't necessarily mean the words that you say in prayer, but how do you pray in the sense of how often do you pray? What is your heart posture in prayer? Do you believe that God hears your prayers, that he'll answer them? What are the types of things that you pray for? When you pray for something, how long do you pray for it? How do you pray? So these are the types of questions I want us to answer today. My hope and my prayer is that we will all better understand the value and benefit of prayer. And ultimately, yes, individually, but collectively as a church, we will grow together in prayer. So let's start by looking at the first of the two parables. We'll read Luke 18 verses 1 through 5. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. 
And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So Jesus, he's telling this parable for his disciples. In Luke, he records Jesus' exact intentions in telling us this parable so that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So as I said, the disciples, they had already asked Jesus how to pray, but Jesus is ultimately, he's realistic. He knows it's easy to become discouraged in prayer. It's easy to give up in prayer. He knows the difficulties in life. He knows the despair that can arise out of discouragement when our prayers have not been answered. So he tells his disciples a story to speak to this difficult reality so that they will persevere in prayer. And so the parable has two main characters, a judge and a widow. So judges at this time were notoriously corrupt. You couldn't count on them for justice. In fact, bribing judges to give, get them to give you favor in court was not uncommon. But the judge specifically in our story is someone who says they neither fear God nor respect man. So this judge is thoroughly selfish. He only makes his decisions as a judge based on personal preference or really what can benefit him. The other character is a widow. And this is significant because widows in this culture were extremely vulnerable. So in this culture at this time in history, it was ultimately men who would provide for women in the women in their lives. And they would even stand with women in court um, if they needed to see a judge for some reason. But this, this woman, this widow, she has nothing. No one to help provide for her and no one to stand with her in court. And so this is why throughout the Bible, God is always so concerned for caring for widows because they're vulnerable. God has always cared about those who are vulnerable and on the margins of society. And widows are part of what theologians refer to as the quartet of the vulnerable. We see this particularly in the Old Testament. These are widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. And God pays unique attention to these people. His heart uniquely goes out to them because of their vulnerability, because of their need for justice and their lack of resources or relationships to see that justice happen. Because God is a God of mercy and compassion and justice. So he always pays close attention to those who need these things the most. And so there's a judge and there's a widow and something has happened. We don't know what. And there was someone in this widow's life who was perpetrating injustice against her. But she had no one to plead her case before the judge, so she did it herself. Justice was so important that this woman would stop at nothing until it was served. But this judge, he did not care about justice at all. He really just cared about himself. And this woman, like I said, she had nothing. She had no one, so she didn't have a bribe to offer him. So he ultimately was not interested in giving her justice. But she kept at it until ultimately the judge felt completely beat down and worn out by her bothering him, in his words. So even though he didn't fear God, he didn't respect men, he gave her justice because she was persistent. He refused for a while, but she did not lose heart in coming to him, asking for justice. And she didn't get discouraged. She didn't give up. She kept at it, and eventually justice was served. So this is the story, the parable that Jesus gives us. And then he applies the principles from this story in regards to prayer in verses 6 through 8. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? 
I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So we learn a few things about prayer from this parable of Jesus and what Jesus has to say about it. The first is what Jesus says outright at the very beginning. We should pray persistently. It's the main point Jesus is trying to, to make, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And many of us, I think, we've probably had the experience of praying for something long enough to where we just start to get discouraged. We get weary in praying. Jesus recognizes that this is a common reality. So he encourages us to keep praying, not give up. But we also need to ask ourselves, yes, are we persistent in prayer? But I think we need to ask ourselves if we're praying at all. So in looking at your own life, what does your prayer life look like? Because the point Jesus is making about persistence in prayer presupposes that we are praying to begin with. If our prayer lives are not what we would like them to be, why is that the case? In reflecting on your beliefs surrounding prayer, what underlies your approach to prayer? Do we believe that God hears us and responds? Do we believe our prayers don't matter because God ultimately is just going to do whatever he wants to do anyways? Do we feel that we don't even need to pray because we can kind of handle things on our own? We don't need God's help. And so as we pray for things, especially good things, things that matter, how long do we pray? Do we just pray once? Do we pray twice and then kind of give up? I know that persistence in prayer is something that I struggle with, especially when it applies and pertains to other people. When it's something going on in my life, sure, I can be a lot more persistent in prayer. But when it has to do with other people, it's easy for me to pray briefly, maybe once or twice, and then I kind of stop or, or I forget. It just kind of recedes into the back of my mind. And something that this passage and through this passage the Lord has convicted me on is how for the last few months I've kind of failed to pray well, pray persistently for our church. For the last few years, starting with the pandemic, we've tried as pastors to pray every single week for at least some of our members. But for the last few months, I've kind of failed at persistently praying for our church and texting you all and letting you know that I'm praying for you. And so I felt conviction of this, and the Lord is encouraging me to, to not only pray, of course, for y'all, but to pray persistently. Um, there's always a, a reason or excuse to not pray about things, but the Lord is convicting me um, to not let those things get in the way of praying for you guys, praying for our church. And so ultimately, I think we can all be a lot more persistent in prayer about the things that matter most. Justice and righteousness, the mission of God, evangelism, the kingdom of God. So in reflecting on your own life, how you pray, what are the things that you pray for? Where might the Lord be challenging or encouraging you to pray more persistently for things? Because Jesus, he, he tells us to persistently pray, to not give up, because God will give justice to his elect who cry to him, day and night. You see, Jesus is not, God is not like the unjust judge in this parable. This parable helps us to understand what God is like by contrasting God with the judge. Because even if this unjust judge who does not care about justice, doesn't care about anyone else but himself, if this unjust judge could give justice to this widow, how much more will our loving and gracious heavenly father who is eager to hear our prayers and respond with the blessings of the kingdom. How much more will this God answer our prayers? So we should pray persistently. Then we should not give up in prayer. We can only persist in prayer if we don't give up when it gets challenging. 
And so that's, that's what this passage, this story is talking about. To lose heart in prayer means to get discouraged and to give up praying. And so if you're thinking about what are the things that cause us sometimes to, to give up, to lose heart and to stop praying, the things that came to mind for me are boredom, apathy, discouragement, frustration, things like these. In these situations, praying persistently doesn't really seem worth it because we're not really getting the results that we want, so we just stop praying. The main point of discouragement in prayer is that we aren't getting what we want. We, we keep praying, we keep praying persistently, and we get discouraged because we're not getting what we ask for. I think when we pray, often we want God to just answer our prayers right there, on the spot. And sometimes he does that. But what do we do when our prayer has not been answered? And it's been a few days, or a few weeks, a few months, maybe even just a few years. Do we keep praying then? We get discouraged in prayer because of what appears to us as God's delay in answering our prayers. Because from our human, limited, finite perspective, this is a a common occurrence. And we can see this in the parable. As the judge, at first, he refuses to give the widow justice. Her cries for justice are met with a no, repeatedly by the judge. But as we continue to read the story, this turns out to only be a delay in the judge granting the widow justice. So what was initially a no for justice turns out to be a not yet in the long run, because eventually he does give her justice. And so Jesus addresses this idea about the apparent delay in God answering our prayer at the end when he says, will God delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. And what this is ultimately getting at is that justice is a characteristic of God, and it is a characteristic of God's kingdom. He will bring justice about at just the right time, without delay, according to his ultimate plans and purposes. So what might seem like a delay to us is no delay to God, who knows the beginning from the end, who is working all things toward his ultimate goals. And so what this means for us is that we can bank on God's character, his love, his grace, his compassion, his kindness, and his justice. God will never act in a way that is inconsistent with his perfect, righteous, holy character. So if it appears to us that God is delaying and answering our prayers, especially prayers that are consistent with the character of God, with the kingdom of God, then we can trust that there are good reasons that we just can't see because we're not God. If God has not answered our cries for things like justice and righteousness, which we know that God is always for justice and righteousness, then we can be sure that he is ultimately being patient with sinful people in this fallen world so that they might repent and be saved. We can be sure that he will absolutely bring justice and righteousness in that it will probably be sooner than we might be inclined to think. We can be sure that he will bring perfect justice on the day when Jesus returns and he fully establishes God's kingdom because God is a just God who rules a just kingdom. So regardless of the timeline, especially from our limited human perspective, justice and righteousness, these types of things will be done by God. Because this side of eternity, we can't know why God answers some of our prayers with not yet or even some of our prayers with no. But what we can know is that God is holy and righteous and good. He is gracious and merciful and compassionate. He is just and cares uniquely for those who are vulnerable and marginalized, for those who are suffering injustice. 
We have so many examples in scripture and honestly probably in every single one of our lives about God answering our prayers. So we can trust in the character of God when our prayers haven't been answered yet and we can't exactly see what God is doing. And there is the reality that sometimes what feels like a delay in God answering our prayers is because God's answer to our prayers is not gonna come in this lifetime, but it's gonna come in eternity. His answer to our prayers while here on this earth is no. And this is not because God is not holy, righteous, or just, because he is those things, but rather because he is working in and through every single detail of the entire cosmos for his eternal glory and the ultimate good of those who are in Christ Jesus. And we have significant examples in scripture of things like this. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he had a thorn in the flesh that on at least three seasons, three occasions, he prayed persistently that the Lord would remove this thorn in the flesh from him. But God said no, because his grace was sufficient for Paul, that God's power was made perfect in Paul's weakness. Even Jesus, the perfect human who prayed to his father constantly, was denied his request in the garden that the cup of suffering that he was about to drink at the cross would pass. Rather, God's answer was to respond and send angels to strengthen Jesus. And so while the trial that Jesus was about to undergo was an act of grave injustice because Jesus ultimately had not sinned, he had not done anything wrong, the Father said no to the request of the Son. And Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to bring about justice, to satisfy God's wrath against our sin, not, God, not Jesus' sin. He's, he was sinless, but ultimately he did this so that we could be forgiven and saved through faith in Christ. We see this in the passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the father saying no to the request of the son and the son going to the cross the father was not denying justice, but was ultimately bringing it about. And now that Jesus has been raised from the dead, he is seated at the right hand of the father. He will return in power and glory when he fully establishes God's kingdom on the earth and brings perfect, complete, cosmic justice. So Jesus, he tells us to pray persistently, to not lose heart and give up because God is a loving, gracious, compassionate, and just God who delights to hear and answer the prayers of his beloved children. He will answer our prayers in just the right way at just the right time. We can count on that and trust in God's character and his faithfulness. Thus, Jesus, in telling us to pray persistently, he's not telling us this because God is stingy and stubborn and we just have to continue to pray to convince God to give us what we want. But Jesus tells us to pray persistently precisely because God is gracious and generous. And he delights to give good gifts to his children. God, God's answer to every one of our prayers and the timing of his answer will always be perfect. We can sometimes feel that we need to work hard, that we have to try everything to ultimately bend God to our will. But the, the thing is, is that God loves us too much to do that. Praying persistently doesn't mean that we will get whatever we want as long as we just continue to pray and eventually wear God down like the parent who eventually gives into their child's cries for a candy bar at the register at the grocery store. God wants us to pray persistently, yes, but God will ultimately, as Tim Keller said, he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knew. I can remember a time in my life where there was something that was weighing heavily on my heart and my mind, and I prayed very, very fervently for it. 
only to have God give me the exact opposite of what I was praying for. And it turns out, because God is infinitely wise and good, that this turned out to be better than what I was asking God for. Our prayers do cause God to act, but he is not beholden to our will, no matter how persistently we, we pray. He won't give us anything less than perfect, perfectly loving, good, and just. He will give us those things. He won't give us anything less than that just because we keep praying and asking him for those things. He will always do what is loving and just and good no matter what. And ultimately, I think that this is an encouraging thing. Even though we might feel discouragement as we are persistently praying about something and it appears that our prayers are going unanswered. And there's the encouragement that as we fight to persist in prayer and even fight sometimes to know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit who dwells within every true believer who is himself fully God, he helps us pray. In fact, he prays for us. We see this in Romans 8, 26 and 27. It says this, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not, what, we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When we grow weary, when we grow discouraged in prayer, the Holy Spirit helps us to persevere. When we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit prays to the Father for us according to God's perfect will. I think ultimately this is what all of us want. We want the perfect will of God to be done in the world and in our lives. And because we can bank on God's character, we can trust him with every single one of our prayers. We can trust him with that thing that we keep praying for. We can trust him with that person that we keep persistently praying for, maybe even for years, that God hears our prayers. He loves us. He will speedily answer our prayers in accordance with his grace and compassion and goodness and justice. God's answer to our prayers will come at just the right time and in just the right way. So in reflecting on your own life, what are the things that God is calling you to pray about? Where is he calling you to be more persistent in prayer? Maybe what you need to do first is to establish just a daily consistent rhythm of prayer. If that's you, I'd encourage you to try and find a time and place every single day to intentionally pray. It could be a particular chair in your house in the morning when you read your Bible. It could be in your car on the way to work. It could even just be while you're in the shower. As you pray, consider writing out your prayers. Consider keeping a log of needs and people that you are praying for. Sometimes something that helps me is quietly praying out loud. That helps me to stay focused in prayer. And then as you pray for things, keep praying. Persevere in prayer. Pray for things that align with the heart and will of God. Pray for people to come to know and to delight in Christ. And keep laboring in prayer until God answers the prayer or until God makes it evident that maybe your prayers should change. Because sometimes our prayers do change over time. An example is prayers for healing for the family member with a chronic and fatal illness can change over time to prayers for strength and faith and fortitude. It's okay for our prayers to change sometimes. Sometimes the Lord changes our prayers for us. But we should consistently and persistently pray for things and for people. That others would come to know, trust, and follow Jesus. 
And we trust God to do what he will. We trust him to do what only he can in our prayers for others, knowing that only he can change people's hearts, not us. And ultimately, as we pray for other people, people are responsible for their own choices. All we are called to do is to pray, to pray faithfully, to pray persistently. God does not require our prayers to do something. He is sovereign and all-powerful. God ultimately does what he pleases. It's not that if we don't pray it, God can't do it. But God does choose to act in response to our prayers. He calls us to pray for a reason. And he calls us to pray eagerly and persistently. And as we pray eagerly and persistently, God makes us more like Christ as we persevere in prayer. So we should pray intentionally, consistently, persistently. When we get weary and discouraged in prayer, we should not lose heart and give up. We ask the Lord for grace. We ask the Lord for strength to keep praying. And we pray for things that align with God's heart, with the character of God, and ultimately with the kingdom of God. So in looking at this parable, the persistent prayer is for justice. That's the immediate context. The widow is crying out for justice. And Jesus says that God will give justice speedily to his elect. I think ultimately this is a prayer for God's kingdom to come, which is exactly how Jesus instructed his disciples to pray in Luke 11. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should pray persistently for God's kingdom to come because it is a kingdom of justice, righteousness, peace, and wholeness. It's a kingdom of light where there's so much darkness in the world. It's a kingdom of life where there are those outside of God's kingdom who are suffering in death. We pray for God's kingdom to come on this earth increasingly, knowing that one day it will come fully and perfectly. And on that day, there will be no more injustice. But for now, we persistently pray for justice for all who are vulnerable, oppressed, and marginalized. We pray against things like racism and sexism and classism. We pursue justice and righteousness in our own lives and for our neighbors through loving action. We don't lose heart and give up because we know these prayers are in alignment with the heart and will of God, who is a just God. So we pray for the kingdom of God to come, and we pray with faith. We pray full of faith. That's how Jesus ends the parable and how he applies it to our lives. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Because for us, when it seems like God is delaying and answering our prayers, it's easy to put God on trial and wonder why he isn't giving us what we're asking for in prayer, or to put God on trial and ask him why he is allowing all this evil and suffering to continue. But Jesus ends the parable by ultimately kind of putting us in the hot seat. Are we filled with faith in God? Does our faith manifest itself in faithful, persistent prayer? Do we have faith in the wisdom, sovereignty, and character of God as we bring our prayer requests to him? So again, in looking at your own prayer life, what does your prayer life reveal about your faith in God? Are you praying persistently? Are you praying at all? Augustine said, when faith fails, prayer dies. In order to pray then, we must have faith. And we can only pray to God full of faith because we are God's chosen adopted children through faith in Christ. Jesus says that God will give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. 
God has chosen us from before the foundation of the world to be saved through faith in Christ. And it's only upon Jesus' finished work at the cross that we have any foundation upon which to stand before God and make our requests known to him in prayer. We put our faith in Jesus for salvation and we exercise that faith daily in prayer as we come boldly before the throne of God because of the work of Christ on the cross. And we don't just pray on our own, although having a daily, consistent, persistent rhythm of prayer is a good thing, but we come before God in prayer corporately, together, as citizens of God's kingdom and members of God's family. We recognize the importance of prayer for our faith, for our health, and for the effectiveness for the sake of the gospel in our own lives, but in the life of our church, as we endeavor to preach the gospel to one another, to the world around us. We need God, so we need prayer. We also need one another as we live the life of discipleship because God has always intended for us to know and follow him in community, not in isolation on our own. So we want to emphasize the importance of praying on our own each day, yes, but praying together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as church family. And so starting next Sunday, we're going to start having, as a church, a monthly time of prayer. The first Sunday of every month, we're going to have the opportunity for us to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the church, to pray. To pray for one another, to pray for our church, for the city, for the mission of God. It's valuable and it's important. And so I I invite you, this is open to members and non-members. Join us next week as we gather together for prayer. And so in looking at this first parable, we can see that we are to pray persistently. That's exactly what Jesus tells us. And then as we get to the next parable, we see that we are to pray humbly. So let's read it. Verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the last parable was addressed to Jesus's disciples. But this parable is addressed to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And the theme that connects these two parables, these two stories, is prayer. And so, just like the last one, this parable also has two characters, a Pharisee and a tax collector. So Pharisees were the religious elite of the day. They were known for their strict observance of the Old Testament law and for ultimately just having these rigorous rules for righteous living. So that's the first character. The other is a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people because they were employed by the oppressive Roman government and they were seen by Jews ultimately as traitors. They were known for cheating people out of money so that they could just get rich at the expense of others. So they were seen as morally corrupt. That's why in the Gospels you constantly see the phrase tax collectors and sinners. And so both of these men, it says, go to the temple for the purpose of prayer. 
but their posture in prayer could not have been more different from one another. So the Pharisee, he, he stood by himself, far away from anyone who might make him unclean or with whom he did not want to associate, and proudly prayed about himself, how great he was, that he was not like other sinners. He was not like sinners. He was not like this tax collector who was nearby. Rather, he fasted a hundred times more than the law required him to. He gave more tithes than the law required him to. He ultimately saw his value and worth in his religious observance, and it says that he looked down. He had contempt upon other people who didn't quite measure up to him. And the Pharisee specifically names the tax collector as someone that he viewed with contempt, someone that he looked down upon. And the fact that this tax collector was at the temple for prayer was kind of an odd thing. It's not something that normally happened for tax collectors. But he was there precisely because there was truth in what the Pharisee said. He was a sinner. This tax collector was morally corrupt, and he knew it. That's why he was in the temple praying. And so he stood far off because he recognized his lowly estate before God because of his sin. In humility, he could not even lift his eyes toward heaven, but rather beat his chest in penitence, asking God to have mercy on him because he knew that he was a sinner. While both of these men were in the temple ultimately to pray, how they were praying could not have been more different. The Pharisee prayed with pride and self-righteousness. In fact, he wasn't even really praying to God, kind of just to himself. He highlighted all of his self-perceived good works and couldn't recognize any of his own sin, just the sins of others. His value and worth and righteousness for him came from his good works, which puffed him up with pride and self-righteousness and ultimately caused him to look down upon others. It's even possible that he thought that God should be more inclined to answer his prayers because he was just so righteous. But the tax collector was incredibly humble. He knew that he was a sinner. And he could not point to any good works, any acts of righteousness. He knew he needed God to forgive him. That was his only hope. And Jesus tells us that the tax collector, not the Pharisee, went home justified. That means declared righteous by God. You see, the Pharisee trusted in himself and his good works to make him righteous. The tax collector trusted in God to make him righteous. And he made the right choice because, as Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. These men's postures in prayer reveal ultimately the posture of their heart and therefore their position before God. One prayed with self-righteousness and left feeling good about himself. The other prayed with humility and left justified by God. By virtue of his faith in God, his sins were forgiven. They were removed and the righteousness of God was given to him. He was justified. You see, the Pharisee, he forgot what Isaiah 64 says, that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So the Pharisee, he stood alone with ultimately a bunch of flimsy, filthy rags as his foundation that he was approaching God in prayer. Therefore, his sins remained and he would not be able to stand in the judgment of God as we see in Psalm 1. But the tax collector humbly stood far off because he knew that he had no foundation upon which to stand and approach God in prayer. He needed a strong foundation. So he looked to God in faith. And God brought him near and gave him a righteous, firm foundation upon which to stand, the firm foundation of Christ. 
Because Christ is our only foundation upon which we are forgiven and saved and made righteous by God in faith. Christ is our cornerstone. He is our only foundation upon which to approach God in prayer. All we need to do is to humbly cry out to God in faith. For as Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Jesus has opened the way for us to be forgiven and declared righteous by God. He did this by offering himself as a sacrifice on the cross. All that we do is humbly come to him and receive the salvation through faith. And so now that we are saved, we can boldly approach the throne of God in prayer. We find mercy and grace to help and sustain us in our times of need. These realities are the only way that we can pray and is what gives us the grace and strength that we need to persevere in prayer, like Jesus said in the first parable. So this is Hebrews 4.16. Later in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we see that Christ is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Christ intercedes for us by going between us and God and pleading our case before the Father based on his work on the cross and the righteousness that he has given to us by faith. This happened when we initially put our faith in Jesus and happens on a moment-by-moment basis as Jesus continually applies the effects of his atonement to us, saying that our sins are forgiven, that we are saved by the blood of Jesus. So in this, Jesus, he is always living to intercede for us. He is always living to pray for those of us who are in Christ by faith. Theologian Louis Burkhoff says, It's a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us even when we are negligent in our prayer lives. One author put it like this. Think about as you are praying and persistently praying, imagine that you can hear Jesus in the other room praying for you an encouraging thought, a a helpful thought to persist in prayer. So when we become weary and discouraged in prayer, remember, Christ is praying for you. Indeed, it is Jesus himself in our first parable who calls us to pray and to pray persistently, to not give up. And then Jesus himself daily prays for us. So my hope is that this provides comfort and grace as we all consistently bring our requests to God, praying for the kingdom of God to come, for it to come in our life, in the lives of others, in our church, in our city, and in our world. And then as we bring our requests boldly before the throne room of God in prayer, we keep praying, trusting in God's character and that he will answer every single one of our prayers in just the right way, at just the right time, because he is a good, loving, gracious Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would move each one of us to awe and wonder this morning that the God of all creation would make a way for us to be saved, would pursue us and save us, even though we are sinful and rebellious. That, Lord, you would reconcile us to yourself, but, Lord, that you would invite us to pray and to pray consistently, Lord, to pray persistently, Lord. God, us as humans, when people keep bringing the same thing to us over and over again, Lord, it's so easy for us to get irritated or annoyed. 
But God, you never get irritated or annoyed as we bring things to you in prayer. You want us to come to you in prayer. And what a marvel that you hear us, that we can come before you boldly. We can enter the throne room of the king of all creation and plead our case for ourselves and for others. God, thank you that you answer our prayers, that when we pray, Lord, it's not just meaningless, vain words. Lord, that it's not um, a metaphor or symbolism or anything like that, Lord, that you actually hear our prayers and you actually respond to our prayers. God, you actually give us what we ask for in prayer. And Lord, thank you that you always do so in a way that is consistent with your holy, righteous, and good character. Lord, in a way that is consistent with the kingdom of God. So I pray that you would help us as followers of Jesus to pray. God, as the church, the people of God, to pray daily, consistently, persistently, Lord. God, when we get discouraged and tired and weary, to not give up, Lord, but to know that you hear and you respond, God, and that you are always good, whatever your response is. It is perfect and right. And Lord, I pray that as we, by God's grace, begin to grow as a church in prayer, Lord, that we would see you do amazing things. God, that just as we marvel that we can come before you at all in prayer, that we would marvel at the things that you are going to do among us, in us, through us, in our city, in the world, God, through our prayers. God, so help us to be a praying people, a praying church, and help us to always remember that the only way that we can pray is because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross in bearing our sin, our guilt, our shame, dying the death that we deserved, and rising from the dead, empowering glory, Lord. And all we have to do is come in humility in faith and receive forgiveness and salvation, Lord. And we are welcomed into the kingdom of God. We get to live daily as citizens of the kingdom of God, Lord, and we get to be ambassadors who tell others about the kingdom of God and pray for the kingdom to come in our lives and in the world. So help us, Lord. Give us grace. And we do pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.